The, the strangest thing um, happened to me uh, the other day. I was, uh, I was up in my office, you know, just studying, and I hear this knock on the door downstairs. So I, I ran down, I opened the door, and this woman was standing on my front porch wearing this T-shirt. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, let me in. And I, I said, um, excuse me? She said, Peter, 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 let me in. And I said, I'm sorry, uh, do I know you? She said, well, of course you know me. I, I know everything about you. I've read every book that you've ever, ever written. I tell everyone all about you. I'm the founder of Peter Hyatt Ministries Incorporated. Now, let me in. And I said, no. I don't know you. I, I never knew you. I don't know where, you're, where, where, where you come from. I, I, I don't know you. And she said, of course you know me. This is, this is Jonathan. I should know I made him. Uh, this is, she held up this doll. Then she held up this other doll. She said, this is Jonathan, our son. And this is Elizabeth, our daughter. I'm your bride. Now let me in. I called the police. While she was getting in the squad car, I said, hey, let me have that shirt and, and, and those dolls. Kind of creepy, wouldn't you think? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to preach um, your word. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. Well, this is our 20th sermon uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. And, and you know, most people, I think, seem to think that the sermon's just a bunch of contradictory sayings about a whole bunch of different things that now Matthew has kind of bundled together in these three chapters in, in his gospel. But I tend to think Jesus is talking about one thing that we're barely even beginning to see, let alone believe, and that is the heart of our Father in heaven. The Sermon on Mount Sinai, remember where Moses received the law? The Sermon on Mount Sinai, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on Mount Calvary in flesh and hanging on a tree in a garden, I think they're all one sermon. Last time we preached on, on these verses, Matthew 7, uh, 15 through 20. Uh, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree literally does good fruit, but the diseased tree does bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot do bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree do good fruit. Every tree that does not do good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them, epigenosco. You will recognize them by their fruits. Last week we saw that it seems that each of us have some good fruits and some bad fruits, which implies that each of us is a wolf in sheep's clothing and something else entirely different. It's, it's like we each have two trees in the garden of our soul. Or maybe one tree that can give life or take life, depending on what you make of it or it makes of, of you. 
7.20, he says, thus you will recognize them, epigonosco, know them or know about them. You will recognize them by their fruits, the fruits they do. Next verse, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Dang. You know, the Sermon on the Mount starts out so sweet, doesn't it? Jesus comes preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then it says stuff like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those in mourning, blessed are the merciful, the hungry, thirsty for righteousness. And then he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But, but then he says, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the religious athletes. He, he tells us about the, the will of the Father next. He describes uh, the law, and now he says, on that day, Judgment Day, I guess. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Imagine how blasphemous this would have sounded to these people there that day. I mean, he must have really healed, healed some of them that they would stick around and listen to this stuff, right? But, but he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, did we not prophesy, cast out demons, do many mighty works? I mean, that sounds like good fruit, doesn't it? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Now, that is so bizarre on so many levels. We need to ask, what does it mean? I think I know what we think we know that it means. We think we, we know that, that it means try harder because a day is coming when Jesus is going to inspect your fruit, which means judge all your deeds. And if your deeds aren't good enough, he's going to pronounce judgment saying, I never knew you, which actually means something like, I, I don't want to know you. And I'm gonna act, I'm gonna act like I don't know you because actually I do know you and I just don't like you. I reject you. You ever had someone act like they didn't know you? It's the worst. Like you'd, when you drop your son off at the junior high school and you give him a kiss and, and then as he's running out across the lawn into school, you wave goodbye and, and in front of his buddy, he acts like he doesn't know you. I don't know who that, that man was. Like when you see a friend, you know, partying with some other friends, you say hi and they act like they, they don't know you. Maybe they're embarrassed by you. 13 years ago, that happened to me a lot. I, I'd actually been one of the most popular guys in my denomination at, at Presbytery uh, meetings. Everybody talked to me then at Presbytery meetings, and for years to come, suddenly people that I thought were old friends, they <laughs> act like they didn't know me. We think that's what Jesus means. I don't want to know you because I actually do know you, and I don't like you. But that's not what he says. He says, I never knew you. And check this out. He's the truth and does not lie. 
He's, he's not acting like he, he never knew them. He never knew them. I never knew you. That's a pretty freaking weird thing to say if he just judged all their deeds. Right? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't he say, I know you because I just judged you? If he never knew them, how could he ever judge them even ju or reject them for that matter? You know, in, Gen in, God, in the Gospel of John, John 8, 15, Jesus says, I judge no one. Did you get that? I judge no one. And yet, the Father has given all judgment to the Son, says Jesus in John 5, 22. Now is the judgment, John 12, 31. The light, John 3, 20. You see, if you read your Bible and you don't think Jesus is weird, you really seriously are just not paying attention. Or you have not believed just about anything he's, he said. I never knew you, says Jesus, which would make it pretty hard to judge, at least not in the way that we judge. And then he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How would he know that they were workers of lawlessness if he had never known them, never judged them? He must believe that because he never knew them, they could do nothing but lawlessness. You know, he did just tell us that he came to fulfill the law. So if he didn't know them, perhaps they could only be lawless and never lawful, for he hadn't fulfilled the law in them. Well, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. That's a weird thing for anyone to say. But more than that, I never knew you is just utterly, spectacularly weird for Jesus to say. If Jesus never knew them, not only could they not be lawful, they just couldn't be. Jesus is the word of God in human flesh. He's the word of God that God spoke and speaks into the void, creating everything that's anything. Jesus is the truth. What is it that he could possibly not know except maybe the lie? Jesus is the light. What is it that he could possibly not know except maybe the shadow? Jesus is the presence of I am. What is it that he could possibly not know except maybe I am not. Jesus is the good in flesh. What is it that he could possibly not know except for maybe the evil in flesh? Who I am not, my shadow, my false self. If you were around when we preached through Ephesians several years ago, you, you may remember how St. Paul would talk about our new man and our old man, right? Our new Adam and our old Adam, the true self and the false self. In Ephesians 4, he says, put off the false, the false self, and put on the true, already created in the very likeness of God. The true self is forever new because it's, it's eternal. Well, if you have a true self already created in Christ Jesus, who created your false self, the lie, in space and time? How about you? So the me that God creates is who I am. And the me that I think I create is who I am not. 
the me that I think I create is an empty illusion. God creates my true self with his judgment. I create my false self with my judgments. Remember the little I? We talked about this, the little I in the man there on, on, the, on the right. I, I think you could call that consciousness or spirit or breath of God breathed into dust in the beginning. That's the I that is now, remember the I that is now, and creates me with my judgments in, in time. I create my false self at this tree when I listen to the snake. Remember the devil's temptation? Take knowledge from this tree and use it to make yourself in the image and likeness of God. Take knowledge of the good and make yourself good. You know, beautiful. Take knowledge and make yourself your own creator, your own savior, your own redeemer. But when I take knowledge of the good, I also take the life of the good. Everything dies, and I come to know all about evil. Now, I'm not sure that we can know evil, for evil is ultimately nothing but the absence of the good. So maybe we can't really know evil, but we can gain knowledge of evil, right? We can know about evil and recognize fake fruit. We can trap ourselves in a prison of darkness and lies and fake fruit. In John 8, Jesus says some just utterly amazing things all to the same group of people on the same occasion. And I don't think we read them all together. John 8, 31, to the, quote, Jews that believed in him, he says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what, they wonder. John 8, 44, he tells them, you are of your father, the devil. Well, the devil is not the father of people, right? Correct. Jesus continues, the devil is the father of lies. <laughs> Fake people. You understand the devil is the father of the self-made man, my ego. The devil is the father of the prison in which you're trapped, that you mistakenly think is yourself because you believe this lie that you must take knowledge of your creator, your father, and make yourself in his image. I think we all first believed the lie around the age of two, maybe three, when we first became self-conscious. So anyway, you have a true self, eternal in the heavens, made in the image of God, and you have a false self in which your true self is currently trapped in space and time, dead and dying, cut off from the, the life and the, and the logos of eternity. We're, I think we must be each like a, like a little girl on her father's lap, asleep and, and dreaming the dream of her own sovereignty, dreaming that she's grown up and doesn't need a father. She's dreaming a dream that has become a nightmare, and now she cannot wake up. The, the dream is an illusion. It's not real. 
And yet in that dream, she really is trapped until her father whispers a word in her ear which really enters her dream. He whispers, sweetheart, wake up. You're having a bad dream. You're dreaming the bad. You know, for a long time, it's fascinated me that on the sixth day of creation, God says to the Adam, ha-adam, that is humanity, this is before he divides them in two, he says to the Adam, you may certainly eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Literally, will not eat. Do not eat. Then he puts the Adam, that is humanity, into a deep sleep, tardema. He makes the Adam male and female, and then they eat. Or, or, they, or they think they eat. You see, I've just wondered, I don't know, but I've wondered if in some way they were still asleep and, and dreaming. I've wondered if we only wake up when we realize that what we took has always been given, and that's the very life of our Father. We wake up when the word of our Father is whispered into our ear, into our dream, where it truly dies and rises within us and destroys this prison that is our nightmare. Ephesians 5.14, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The truth will shine on you. You're not forsaken. You only feel forsaken. You're the beloved in whom I'm well pleased. I've just wondered. Right now I'm just saying that, that maybe Jesus knows about evil, but he doesn't know evil, for there's actually nothing there to know. Maybe the man that Jesus does not know never existed. You only imagine he exists. He is your nightmare. Maybe that man is nothing but a lie, and there are no lies, you see, in the kingdom of the truth. In fact, they all just dissolve in his presence. Jesus is the truth. Who enters your nightmare and destroys the lie. Jesus is the light that shines on the tree and obliterates every shadow. Maybe the man that Jesus doesn't know is your false self. Or maybe the, the man that Jesus doesn't know is your true self. Trapped in your false self, that nightmare that you dream in space and time. Maybe Jesus never knew him because you wouldn't let him be known. Maybe Jesus never knew him. You know, never is a word that is a function of, of time. Not in this age, never, not in time as we experience it, never. Maybe Jesus never knew him until he did know him as he woke you from time into eternity and is, in fact, the eternal life that fills all your time even now, which is the point where eternity touches time. Anyway, maybe the man that Jesus doesn't know is your false self, or, or maybe the man that Jesus doesn't know is your true self hiding in your false self, or, or both. You remember that after Eve and that, that first Adam? After they took the fruit from the tree, they hid themselves from what? <laughs> the presence of God. 
They use their knowledge of good and evil to hide themselves in fig leaves and self-justifications. They hide their shame. And isn't shame the perceived distance between who we think we should be and who we perceive ourselves to be? It's the awareness that well, we need a helper. It's knowledge that we are incomplete and we need to be completed. They hide, they hide that place of shame from the presence of love and so remain alone. They will not let their helper know them. I think he refuses to rape them, to force them to be known. And now it's so important to realize that in Scripture there are different ways of knowing and different things to be known. Eve, who is all of us, the bride of the eschatos, the last, the ultimate Adam, Eve took knowledge of the good to make herself good. Everything died, and in that state she chose to remain alone. That's one way to know. To take knowledge. But next in Genesis, we read, the next place the word shows up, next in Genesis, we read that, that Adam, that human Adam, knew Eve, and she got pregnant with life, and they were all then very much less alone, and that's somehow a sign. And, and you see, well, that's a, a very different way to know, to be known. Two ways of knowing, just one word in Hebrew. In our text today, there are two words often translated as know. When Jesus says, I never knew you, the word used in the Greek is gnosko. But when Jesus says, you will recognize them or know them by their fruits, the, the word is epigonosko. Epi is a, a prefix meaning on or, or maybe about. And so this is how it's often translated. So you will know about them, but perhaps you won't know them, for there could be nothing or no one to know. Or perhaps they won't let you know them, for they're hiding under a bunch of fake fruit that is all about them, self-righteousness and religious deeds. Whatever the case, you can only know a thing, an object, in a certain and particular sort of way. But you can also know a person in this other way. You can know as you are known. In other words, you can commune. The first place that Gnosko, no, the first place that Gnosko appears in the Gospel of Matthew is in chapter 1 when Matthew writes that Joseph did not know Gnosko Mary until Jesus was born. That is, he didn't have sex with her. That is, she did not surrender that vulnerable and intimate place on her body where she felt shame. She did not surrender herself to Joseph. However, she did surrender herself to the Word of God and was impregnated with Jesus. You know, one day they said to Jesus, Jesus, go tell your mom, go tell your mother. And Jesus said, whoever does, the, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know he's called the Son of Man? Did you know that? I mean, this just occurred to me like a little while ago, and I've been dealing with this stuff for all my life. He's called the Son of Man. Do you know what that means? That means that man, humanity, is his mother. 
because God is his father. When we allow God to not only know about us, but to know us, when we surrender our shame and allow him to fill it with, with grace, when we invite the truth by being honest about our lives, when we're truthful, when we surrender to God's word of grace, who is the will of the Father and the promised seed to all humanity, when we allow God to know us, we bear the fruit of his life. We do the fruit. When we allow Christ to know us, we know him and become pregnant with his life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, faith, gentleness, self-control. That's good fruit. That's God's will in human flesh, our flesh. Jesus just informed us that those who enter the kingdom are those that he knows. That is, those that do the will of his Father in heaven. Jesus is the will of his Father in heaven. He is the word of his Father in heaven. He's the promised seed from the Father. Jesus is the will of the Father, hanging on a tree in a garden, even the garden in the depths of your soul. Make the tree good or make the tree bad, said Jesus. So last time I had you stare at this tree, and I asked you, what do you make of it? Or does it make of, of you? How do you know it? Several years ago, I was flying over um, Nevada. I'm away to California to do a wedding, and the pilot came on the loudspeaker. Think Arn's here somewhere, right? Arn's a pilot. There he is back there. And he's, but this pilot started giving a commentary, you know, with great reverence on the wonders of creation down below us. At one point he said this, directly below us is Mount Wheeler, the site of the world's oldest living thing, a bristlecone pine, almost 5,000 years old. And then he paused and he said, well, actually, it was the oldest living thing till they cut it down to count its rings. They was a grad student named Don Curry who wanted to know how old it was. So in 1964, he cut it down and counted its rings, 4,862. But the tree died. And I imagine something in Don Curry died. That's science. The study of repetitive events in a controlled environment. I love science. You know that about me. I absolutely love science. Science is absolutely wonderful for knowing things. <laughs> but not so much people. If you want to know a tree, cut it down, count its rings. You want to know a frog, dissect it into little pieces and analyze each piece. If you want to know a wife, Well, you could cut her down and dissect her. You'd know all about her, but you could no longer know her because you just killed her. See, there are different ways to know, and, and if you know a thing in one way, it might keep you from knowing it in another. So how do you know this tree? 
and the fruit on this tree. The snake tempted Eve and the first Adam to know about the good, so they took knowledge of the good which killed the life, and they were no longer able to do the will of their Creator, for they just killed the will of their Creator, and everything died. The scribes and the Pharisees took knowledge of the good. They took the law and even used it to crucify the life and weren't able to do the will of their Creator. They couldn't do fruit. They could only fake fruit, for they crucified their husband. Is the good something you can use to create your life like a dead law, or is the life someone who is making you good by giving you himself like a living lover, a, a husband? You can gain knowledge of the good by seizing control, but you can only know the good by surrendering control and allowing Him to know you. If you seize control, you can only fake the fruit. But if anyone loves God, writes Paul, he is known by God. God is love. And real love is God. You can only bear the fruit of love if you've been known by love. Love is God and the will of God. To do the will of God, you must be known by God, and then you give birth to the life of God in human flesh. Good fruit. And anything else is just creepy. That woman at my door that kept saying, let me in, she was creepy. I think she was trying to impress me with all that she knew about me. But she didn't know me, because I, I had not known her. And so I knew that was fake fruit. My children aren't dolls made, made by people. My children are living miracles made by God in the womb of my bride because in the very place that she once covered her shame, I implanted seed during the celebration of the sacrament of our covenant of marriage. My children are living fruit because I knew my bride, and so my bride knows me, but I swear I never knew that woman knocking at my door. <sighs> now I probably should tell you that I, I made that up. It didn't actually happen to me. But I think it does happen to Jesus all the time. See, I think we're all a bit like that woman knocking on heaven's door, trying to impress God, saying, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do many mighty great works in your name? Did I not give to the building fund in your name? Just look at my resume. And he says, but I never knew you. Maybe he means there's actually nothing there to know. Or maybe he means there is someone there to know, but she's hiding and will not allow me to know her, the real her, hiding in the false self. And so I will subject her to death, futility, and chaos until she dies to herself, surrenders her ego, and learns to call upon me, say, God, help me. Yahashua. In a word, Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus. Lord, Lord means master, master, owner, owner. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation, our helper.
Well, as you know, God kicked humanity out of the garden. And, in, and if you didn't know, Scripture claims that we are the bride of Christ, who, who is the eschatos Adam, that is, God in, in flesh, our helper. God kicked us out of the garden and placed two cherubim and, and a flaming sword to guard the way to, to the tree. But we do come back to the tree. For the spirit of the one that hung on the tree finds us and with a flaming sword cuts away our ego and brings us back to himself. We come back to the tree. In fact, that's what we're doing right now. We come back to the tree for in the fruit, there's seed. Seed that dies and comes to life even in our darkest, deepest nightmares. I was trying to explain all of this at a prophetic uh, prayer meeting a while ago here at, at the church, and my wife had a vision, and I've learned to trust her on these things. But she said, this is what I saw. A beautiful bride was looking at herself in a mirror, admiring her own beauty. She then reached over and took a bite of, of fruit. She immediately looked in the mirror and saw Jesus die on the cross, then watched herself crucified and dying with him. And then she fell on the ground weeping and utterly alone. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm, what I'm trying to say. We take the law to justify ourselves. We take knowledge of the good to make ourselves beautiful. We take knowledge of the good, and we so, so we crucify the good, which is to take the life, kill the life, and so find ourselves unable to love, dead and alone. We take the fruit to feed our own ego, and everything dies. But the gospel is that there's seed in the fruit. And it dies in order to live. The gospel is that body broken and blood shed, it rises from the dead, even within us. The gospel is that the life we thought we had taken has always been given. The gospel is that we've always been forgiven and thoroughly loved. The gospel is that love does not fail, for he is infinite Mercy, that's who he is. The gospel is that we will know even as we are known. The gospel is that he finds us, sets us free, and brings us home. The gospel is that our Father is waking us from this nightmare of a world with a word. The good news is the man that Jesus does not know is the man that has kept me in bondage, misery, and sin, despair all the days of my life that may not actually be life. That man is my false self, my ego. The man that I think I'm supposed to be, the man I dream myself to be and constantly fail to be in this dream that has become a nightmare. The, the man that seeks to impress his friends at the Presbytery meetings with how much he knows, the books he's written, the number of people in his church. The man that competes. The man that feeds on the failures of others in order to feel better about himself. The zombie, the vampire, the wolf in sheep's clothing. The false me that constantly condemns the true me, telling that it, me that, that I am never enough. The accuser in me. Spawn of the devil. The good news is that Jesus does not know that man. 
because he doesn't exist. And if he ever did exist, he's been nailed to the tree with Jesus, the truth. The good news is that Jesus does not know the man I'm trying to be. The good news is that Jesus knows and loves the man that I am right now. It doesn't mean that I'm finished in the image of my Father. It doesn't mean that I'll never change. It means that he could not love me more than he does right now, my Father. And this is weird upon reflection, but I think I love well, take my daughter Elizabeth, for instance. I think I, I love her the same amount. I've loved her the same amount when, when she was two that I did when she was five and when she was nine. And yes, even 15 and 24 and now 30. I loved her with all I am and all I have. She's me. And I'm her. She's the fruit of the tree that is me, the Father. So what am I saying, trying to say? How, do, how does this look? Because it's all kind of esoteric. Well, I think it looks like one of my favorite stories, which I've told you a, a few times. It's one of my favorite memories. I, I think it looks like this, played over and over and over in a gazillion ways, a gazillion moments, till we all arrive at home on the lap of our Father and we know the place for the first time. You know, Jesus said, pray, our Father. I'm Elizabeth's father. She's one of my sheep. The one on the left, I'm one of, one of my sheep. When she was little, she would follow me around wherever I went. She would just do whatever I was doing. I was literally her life. And her life was knowing me. But this one day, I felt like I no longer knew her. She was about five at the time. And this day, she was, I mean, she was just nasty. I mean, probably started the night before, and I hadn't noticed because I was busy, but she was just nasty and, and mean, even when she would try to be nice. She was like a wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, sowing divisions, picking fights, and causing trouble with all my other sheep. Lectures did not help. Spankings did not help. She was killing me. Finally, I just said, okay, everybody, look, <laughs> let's just all get in the van and we'll go out to dinner, have a party. Well, everybody in the van, we're going out to dinner. In the van, on the way, she's picking fights the entire time. So as soon as I parked, I remember I turned around and with this really stern voice, I said, okay, everybody out of the van, except you, Elizabeth, you come here and sit next to me. I sat her in the front seat, stared her down. She stared me down. I said, Elizabeth, what's gotten into you? She said, well, I know, but I'm not telling you. What do I do at that point? Not knowing what to do. I made her come sit on my lap. 
Because you see, I, I had lost her, and she was lost, even sitting on, on my lap. My treasure was hidden in this angry five-year-old going on 50, acting like she was the king of the kingdom, and I was just an idiot. I know, but I'm not telling you. I made her sit on my lap. I, I didn't know what to do, and then I hugged her. At first, I could tell it burned. Normally, she was most at home on my lap, but now it burned. It burned her ego. And yet, I hugged her for a long time. Then she cracked. Well, okay. I'll tell you. Daddy, do you remember when you came to my kindergarten class? And I said, yeah, honey, I remember. She said, well, do you remember Kelly? I said, yeah, I remember Kelly. She was this little girl that just hung on to me the whole time. She said, well, after you, after you left, Kelly said to me that, that you said to Kelly that you didn't love me, and now you loved her, and then she just absolutely fell apart in this fountain of tears sobbing on my lap, and then I really burned. I burned with love for my daughter, and... I burned against the lie. Not Kelly, the lie. You see, it was the passion of, of the Father, a longing that I can barely express. I felt it, because in that moment, I found my daughter, and I knew my, my daughter. In that moment, she exposed to me the greatest of all gifts, her broken heart. I said, Elizabeth, does Kelly have a daddy? She said, yeah. He just moved away from Kelly and her mommy. And I said, oh, Elizabeth, put my hands up to her face. I said, oh, Elizabeth, just look at me. Look at me. I will always love you. Now, I'm an imperfect father, but you do realize that you have a perfect father, right? I said, I will always love you and that will never change. Please, please, don't doubt my love for you. Do you understand? It hurts me when you doubt my love for you. But, but if you do doubt my love for you, we'll come back and sit here again and, and tell me so I can tell you once again, I love you, and that will never change. No matter what you do to me, I love you. What's gotten into you, I had asked. Answer, the lie. The lie of the snake, the lie. It made her try to become, it made her try to become me, for she no longer believed she was me. It made her try to earn my love because she no longer believed she was my love. It made her try to take my life because she no longer believed that she is my life. It trapped her in a nightmare and made her become someone that I did not know. The man that God does not know is the man that you're trying to be in order to show him that you deserve his love or don't need his love because you're entirely self-sufficient in and of yourself. You are king of your own kingdom. The man that God does not know is, is the man you're trying to be. 
and now you, you know I'm using man the way the Bible does because it includes all of us, okay? And it includes you, the individual. And we're all the woman too, we're Eve. But the man that God does not know is the man you're trying to be and the man that God does know is the thoroughly unimpressive yet entirely impressive man or woman that you actually are right now without any fig leaves, without any of your justifications, without showing him your resume, right now. It doesn't mean that you'll simply stay the same, that you'll never be who, who, who you are destined to become. It means that you can grow, for you will feed on love. And love changes everything. Love makes everything grow and become just who it is that you eternally are so that you can become who it is that you eternally are. I said, I will always love you. I said, I will always love you. And then Elizabeth and I got out of the van and we went in to the restaurant and checked this out. Elizabeth was, was good. <laughs> She's just so good without even trying. So like Jesus told my friend last time, come sit with me every day. You see, it will burn away the man that God does not know and the man that God does know and loves will grow without even trying. And so, the word of our Father took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. And he took the cup, saying, this is the, this is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. See, this is the word of your Father. Jesus, from the bosom of the Father, the heart of God, the broken heart of God. This is the word of your Father spoken to you on the tree. Let it burn away the man that God does not know. And let it feed the man that God does know. And you will grow. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. So now with the eyes of your heart, Lift your head. Look into the eyes of your father. And say, Daddy, I'm sorry that I have spent so much time believing the lie. Because it hurts you. And so I... I let you love me. <laughs> Thank you that you know me. 
as I am. And that with your word, you will make me as you are. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about that. Let's eat. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, uh, all I'm saying, of course, is believe the gospel, which is the word of your Father. You know, we've said so many things about this tree based on a whole bunch of theories, and none of us can ever exhaust the meaning of it. But it fascinates me that we've had such trouble believing the things that God just says so plainly. I'm your dad. That means you're my children. I'm the bridegroom. <laughs> That means you all are my bride. I'm the spirit. And one day I will inhabit all of the temple. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.